Church, we've been preaching through the pastoral epistles. We've been preaching this month through 1 Timothy. And I'm part of a team of preachers, and so they assigned to me 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, when you preach through a book, the, the, it's a very rich uh, experience, but one of the challenging things about preaching through a book like that is that you can't pick and choose and you can't skip over the difficult passages. And so when they said, okay, Paul, uh, you get chapter 2, there's some difficult text to understand in this, in this chapter. Uh, and so I was thinking as I was preparing the sermon, okay, I need to understand this to be able to explain it to others. But I want to tell you, as I was uh, working through this passage, it, it just blessed my life tremendously. And I'm excited to share with you uh, what the Lord has shown me in this passage. Uh, a sermon I'd like to call, Coming Back to What is Most Important to God. So we're going to reflect together on Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this was written from the Apostle Paul to a younger helper, minister, pastor called Timothy. And Timothy was serving in a church in a city called Ephesus. So as we study this chapter, we want to understand a little bit about what was going on there in this church in Ephesus. We want to understand what Paul told Timothy to go there and do about it. And we also want to try to understand how this applies to our lives today, each of us as Christians, but also as our, to our lives together as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and as your lives together as Union Church. So when we uh, study the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul, the book of Acts records three missionary journeys that he was involved in. Paul was a ball of fire. He preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus everywhere, all over the known world, all across the Roman Empire. Paul was a Jew, and he preached Jesus, the Messiah, to the Jews. But there was a very particular emphasis of his calling, something special about the work that he did. God sent him to preach Jesus to Gentiles, just like us. And so Paul and his team, his co-workers, they preached Jesus. And everywhere they preached Jesus, and everywhere men and women believed in the name of the Lord Jesus, they would establish churches. But their ministry was such that after a while, in each place, Paul and his team, they would push forward to other places <coughs> where the gospel had not yet been preached, where the name of Jesus was not yet known, and that was his passion, to tell people about Jesus. So he went everywhere, uh, just a, a widespread ministry. But whenever Paul was able, he would go back to the places he had visited, he would go back to churches that he and his team had helped to plant, and he would take those opportunities to strengthen the young churches, to strengthen the new believers, to help order the churches and, and teach them in their faith. And sometimes when he wasn't able to travel back to a particular place, he would pastor the churches from afar through the letters that he wrote. Back then there wasn't any email, there wasn't any WhatsApp, but Paul wrote lots of letters. And sometimes the churches had questions and Paul had answers. So the interesting thing about studying Paul's letters, the epistles, 
It's a little bit like listening to one side of a, a phone conversation because you hear often the answers that the Apostle Paul is given, giving, but you don't always understand what the questions were that the people were asking. Or sometimes you have to read between the lines and understand what was the situation that the Apostle Paul is addressing through the teaching and the instruction he's given. And sometimes, uh, besides writing letters, he would send his helpers to pastor and minister to the churches. And that's what's going on here in 1 Timothy. Um, so if we read the book of Acts, and we see how the, the church expanded, extended in those early years, the book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. He's under house arrest. Uh, but he is appealed to the Roman emperor. And as the book of Acts ends, the Apostle Paul is eagerly awaiting the opportunity to present his case. And it's not because he wants to defend himself. What the Apostle Paul really wants to do, he's so strategic this way, he's so passionate this way, he appealed to the emperor because he wants the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with Caesar, all the way at the top of the empire. So, after the events <coughs> at the end of the book of Acts, history tells us that Apostle Paul continued in prison for a couple more years and then was released right around the year 62. Now this is important because just six years later, we know that Paul was executed. He was put to death by the Emperor Nero for his faithful witness to the gospel, for his faithful witness of Christ. So he was released in the year 62, and six years later, he's killed for his faith. But let me tell you, in the time when Paul was set free, he didn't take any time to rest. He kept busy preaching Jesus. He went on another missionary journey. And these pastoral epistles, uh, the, this, these three letters that are known as the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, they, these were written as a way to follow up on this fourth and last missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. So Paul begins this letter to the younger pastor Timothy. He's reminding Timothy why he wanted him to stay in Ephesus. You see, he wanted Timothy to stay in Ephesus to deal with problems in the church there. The thing was, there were false teachers, not only in Ephesus, but false teachers in the church of Ephesus. And the Christian men and women in this city were being affected by this false teaching. And the situation that Paul sent Timothy to try to, 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 try to pastor and to, to resolve was really complicated. Because not only were the believers in Ephesus in danger of believing false doctrine and believing things that were not true, also the false doctrine, the false teaching was distracting the believers from the really important things. <laughs> this false teaching was causing them to forget God's priorities for the church. This false teaching was causing them to neglect the essence of Christian living, what Christian living and the Christian life is supposed to be all about. And it was even calling them to question the calling that God had given them. All of the believers there in Ephesus, but this is the way 
that they had been deceived and this is the way that the false teaching was affecting them in the church. So to respond to this, Paul sends Timothy uh, to the church and there's a message that Paul in his letter to Timothy repeats in different ways all the way throughout this letter. And if I was to put it in a nutshell, he says it in different ways, but here's what Paul's saying. Listen closely. He says that you and I, as Christians, we show that we have understood the gospel. We show that we have really known our God. How do we show it? Not by winning theological debates, but by the way that God's character, by the way that godliness and holiness is reflected in our lives. This is what Paul insists on all throughout this letter to Timothy. You and I, we show our commitment to God by the way that our priorities align with God's priorities and by the way that we embrace God's plan and the calling that He has given to each of us. So right at the beginning of this letter, Paul says, Timothy, when I commanded you to stay in Ephesus, to help the church and to help the Christians there. Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You see, this is what the Christian life, this is what the life of the church is supposed to be all about. And those who have wandered away from this most important thing they're the ones who are causing trouble in the church at Ephesus. And those who have wandered away from this most important thing are the ones who are falling into error and into confusion. So, here's an important question for you and I to consider. Some of us have known the Lord for a long time. Maybe some of us uh, have known Him for uh, less time. Maybe some are still coming to understand what the gospel is about. Some of us have been parts of churches for many years. Uh, maybe some are, are new to church. But whether you're young or old, or whether you've had a long time in the gospel, or you're new in the gospel, new to church, here's the question I want us all to reflect on. Is it possible for us as Christians to become distracted from loving others? Is it possible for a Christian to forget to love others? Is it possible for us to miss the point of the Christian life? <laughs> Is it possible for us as Christians to lose sight on God's call, to lose sight of God's call on our lives? Is it possible for you and I as Christians to lose sight on the things that are most important to God? Well, the experience of our brothers and sisters at the church in Ephesus and Paul's exhortations to Timothy in this letter, they all serve to remind us that there is an enemy who seeks, seeks to tempt and to distract us from the truth. And this is a danger that we should be aware of and we should guard against. So Paul begins this chapter 2 urging the people, the Christians in Ephesus, to pray, to pray. To pray. Let me ask you something. Is it possible for us as Christians to get so busy doing other things that we forget to pray? I'll ask you. You could ask me. I'll tell you sometimes I forget to pray. 
The Ephesian church was so consumed debating strange doctrines and myths and genealogies that it seems that they were forgetting to pray. And it's not just a matter of us wasting our time on things that are unimportant. Although we do waste our time on things that are unimportant. But also sometimes we invest so much time in important things that we forget to do the most important thing. We forget the most important thing that our lives as followers of Christ should be characterized by perseverance in prayer. So in this chapter 2, Paul is saying that as followers of Jesus, we should be known as men and women, young people who pray for our leaders, who intercede before God for our communities, for our country, and for this world. And Paul in chapter 2, verse 2, explains the reason that Christians are called to pray like this. He says, it's so that we may live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness. He says, this is good and it pleases God. And this theme of holiness is so important, this theme of godliness, that Paul returns to the theme of godliness, a life that reflects God, a life that pleases God. He returns to this theme later on in chapter 2, but then again in chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. Over and over and over and over, Paul insists that this is God's will for his people. A peaceful life. The kind of life that displays a powerful witness of God's work in us. The kind of life that other people can look at us and see that God is real and that the gospel is true. Paul continues in this chapter 2 by urging the importance of of preaching the gospel. You know, God has called us as believers and has called us together as His church to participate in His mission. It's through God's initiative and through God's mission that salvation has come to us in the first place. And now God calls those of us who have been saved by His Son to take this good news of salvation to others. And so in chapter 2, verse 3, Paul continues to talk about God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in his proper time. Paul insists on the point, and he says, this is the message of salvation that I have been called to preach to the Gentiles. And this is the message of salvation that all of us as followers of Jesus are called to share. And Paul insists on this, because if we lose sight of the urgency of the gospel, we have lost sight of God's desire to see men and women come to the knowledge of the truth. If we lose sight of the urgency of the gospel, we've lost sight of God's priority to see the name of His Son Jesus believed and worshipped and obeyed. So, what the Apostle Paul has said so far in this chapter, he's been directing his exhortations to the Christian men of Ephesus. 
But I want to tell you that everything that Paul has set up until now can also be applied to the women of the church. Because women are also called to pray. Women are also called to live holy lives. Women are also called to share the gospel. But in the way that Paul develops his argument, now Paul has some particular instructions for the women. And as we hear what he's saying to the sisters in Ephesus, I want us to be aware that there are some very important lessons for us men as well. The first thing that the apostle says, he calls on Christian women to make themselves beautiful with good deeds and holy lives, not with ostentatious hairstyles and fancy clothes. That's what he says in verse 9, chapter 2. I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, the temptation that the Apostle Paul is addressing, and here he's speaking to the women, i got to tell you, it's a temptation for all of us today, both men and women. Our materialistic culture causes us to value and even obsess about the most superficial things. Our culture tells us that what we have, the quality of our clothes, is what makes a person special, is what shows who we are. And the Apostle Paul is saying that exactly the opposite is true. He's saying that as Christians, it's our godly character. It's our holiness. It's our obedience to God. It's the way that we live out our faith in the day-to-day that shows the quality of who we are and brings glory to God. Paul's saying that it's not the outside. It's the inside that matters. And it's the inside that should show others that our testimony is the truth. So this was a lesson for the sisters there in Ephesus, but it's also a lesson for all of us both men and women today. Now, in verses 11 to 15 of this chapter 2, Paul says some things that are hard to understand. And if you read different commentators, there's all sorts of differences of opinion among interpreters. First, the Apostle Paul gives a prohibition on the type of ministry that women can exercise in the church. Now, as different Christians study this passage and try to understand the passage and even debate the passage, part of the discussion is whether the Apostle Paul was just speaking to a situation there in the Ephesian church, or if what he's saying applies to our churches today as well. So you know that today some churches have women pastors, and other churches don't. And it has to do with different ways that Christians have understood this passage. And these are all important questions, but we're going to leave them for another day. Uh, If you have any questions, Sam can explain this passage to you. (laughs) But what I want to do with this passage, we're not going to explain everything because there's things I don't understand either, but I want to do is to point out some important lessons from verses 11 to 15 that I believe apply both to men and women. Now, 
from Paul's other letters. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. And from what he's written in other places, we know that he believes in the equality of men and women before God. The Apostle Paul teaches that men and women are both created in God's image and likeness. Both men and women are gifted with full and free salvation. Both men and women are one in Christ Jesus. Both men and women receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and are gifted with spiritual gifts for ministry. We, we know Paul believes this. He teaches this in many places. But here to Timothy, Paul says something difficult. Verse 11 and 12. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Now, from other things Paul wrote and from reading the book of Acts and reading other texts of the New Testament, we know that women weren't completely quiet in the early church. Uh, women prayed, women prophesied, uh, women participated in worship. Women taught in certain circumstances, especially to other women and to children. And as we read through the Scriptures, the Bible gives many examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament of women who served the Lord, whose ministries were approved and blessed and used mightily by God. But here it seems that the Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy about a particular kind of abuse. And the problem seems to be that some of the Christian women in Ephesus had ignored the authority, the authority structures established by God in the family and in the church. Now, women at that time and in this place had very little access to education. Uh, little girls didn't go to school. Little boys did. Little girls uh, didn't have this opportunity. And this particular circumstance made the Christian women vulnerable. They were at far greater risk of being deceived by the false teachers because they did not know the Scriptures well. And the prohibition that Paul is making seems to indicate that the Christian women of Ephesus were helping to spread the false teaching, maybe with, with no wrong intention, but they were helping to spread the false teaching by the way that they were participating in the church. It seems to be in the way that Paul addresses this subject that the women had taken on authority to teach that had not been delegated to them. So, the situation in Ephesus, the false teachers, they were all men. There weren't women false teachers. The false teachers were men, but somehow the sisters in the church had become part of the problem. And this calls problems and tensions in the home as well because the influence of the false teachers had led some to question the importance of marriage and of family. So it's in this context that the Apostle Paul says that women should submit, they should respect authority, they should be quiet and learn. Now, I want to say to us here something very clearly 
I want to say very clearly that all of us are under authority. Men, women, all of us. As we serve together in the church, we are called to be subject to one another, and we are all called to submit to God. There's another passage where Paul deals with this difficult issue of authority. And he doesn't tiptoe around it. He doesn't deny that God has established structures of authority that we must respect. But Paul makes it very clear that both men and women are special and important because we complement each other with the different roles and the gifts that God has given to each. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. So the Bible teaches very clearly that both men and women in the family, in society, in the church... We need each other. And God has made us the same in some ways. He's made us different in other ways. But both men and women are created in ways that complement and complete each other. And even though this subject of authority is difficult, it's important. And let me tell you why. Because when we don't, when we don't submit to authority, it's dangerous. In the church of Ephesus, we have an example, but sadly, there are examples all throughout history. Many of us know sad cases of Christians who have divided churches, of Christians who have caused damage to others. Many of us know cases of Christians who have been deceived and who have led others into error. Many of us know cases of Christians who have fallen into sin and have ruined their testimony, their family, and their ministries. So here's a clear warning for all of us, both men and women, and it's this. When we ignore authority, when we refuse to submit and to be corrected by others, not only are we in danger, but we can be dangerous to others. So to drive this point home, the Apostle Paul uses an example from the very beginning of creation. He wants to show the danger of ignoring the authority that God has established. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Paul explains that Eve was deceived by Satan because she ignored the commandment of God. She ignored the authority of her husband Adam. But then Adam by his own fault and his own rebellion, also sinned against God. So Paul is talking about a danger. He's talking about something that's very dangerous in the church, the danger of being deceived and falling into error and leading others into error as well. He's talking about something that's dangerous. And in verse 15, Paul says that the women in Ephesus can avoid this danger. They can be saved from falling into this error by embracing the role that God has given them in the home, in the family. If we were to say the same thing, in other words, we could say that the Ephesian women will be kept safe 
from the danger of error if they pay attention to the work that God has given them to do and, Apostle Paul says in verse 15, if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. Now I want to be clear, Paul's not saying that having children is what saves a woman. Men and women are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's not saying that the only place for a woman is in the home. We remember Proverbs 31 that celebrates the virtuous woman who not only is a blessing in her home, but is quite the businesswoman. Gifted, tremendously talented, diligent, and she uses the skills that God has given her to provide and to care for her family and to be a blessing in every sphere where she's active. So if we want to understand this difficult text in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, I think chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, help fill in a little bit the context of what was happening. Paul says, So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. He's talking about what was going on there in Ephesus. He says, some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. You see, because of the false teaching in Ephesus, some of the women were neglecting the roles that God had given them and were neglecting the work that God had given them to do. And I think that here, there's an important lesson for both men and women. Listen, listen, to, listen closely to this. Many people today think that gender is not by Guatemala and all around the world that will tell you that you can be any gender you want to be and any gender you feel like. That's why Facebook offers us 71 gender identities that you can select to personalize your profile. 71 different gender identities. But the Word of God is not Facebook. The Word of God is very clear in teaching us that God made us male and female and each with special gifts and callings. And as Christians, as Christian men, Christian women, we should embrace who God made us to be as we live out His good purposes for our lives. I, so when I come to this difficult Verse 15, as I study it and try to understand what the Apostle Paul was saying and what he meant by it, I think what he's saying is this. He's teaching us that the safest place to be, the safest place to be, and here we can add men along with the women, the safest place to be for both men and women is in the will of God. The safest place for us to be is each of us doing the work that God has given us to do with faith and love and holiness and in the fear of the Lord. That's the safest place for all of us. So as we close, I want to challenge us today to ask ourselves these questions. Ask yourself as I ask myself. Does my life reflect love holiness, and godliness. Another way to ask the same question is, can others see Jesus 
in me. Can others see that God is real and that the gospel is powerful by the way I live my life? Another question, do my priorities reflect the things that are most important to God? Would other people who observe the way I order my life and the things that I dedicate most attention and time and energy and sacrifice to, would they understand through what I do the things that are most important to God? Another important question. Am I subject to authority? Am I submitted to God? Am I submitted to my brothers and sisters in the Lord? And a final question. Do I embrace the gifts and the calling that God has given me? And I, am I using what God has given me to bless others? May the Lord keep us safe from error. May the Lord use us to guide others to the truth, not only with our words, but with our lives and our example. Amen.